Don't let the smiling face of that young cowboy fool you. That right there is a hardened criminal. I was about five years old when that picture was taken, and right about that time, my friend Ray Moni and I decided to go on an adventure. We uh, saw a little shack in the field next to where the apartment we were living in. He was in the first floor, we're in the second floor. And we found a way through the locked chain fence to get to that. And we squeezed through there, went to that shack, and inside, of course, for five-year-old guys, that was, it was just a treasure trove. And we found World War I-era gas masks. And we put them on and walked back to our apartments. And I don't know how this happened, but if my memory serves me correctly, as soon as we got home, my mother called me up to our second floor apartment, and when I got into the living room, there was a policeman standing there. <laughs> and he said something like this to me. He said, young man, where did you get that? And I said, I found it. Now, I need to tell you, at this point in the first hour, when I said I found it, a child up there yelled, liar! <laughs> and I thanked him because that was the point. <laughs> now, I wish I could say that that was my last fib. Now, I choose the word fib because it's so cute. And it really belies the ugliness of lying to say we fib. We use a lot of other euphemisms and understatements to downplay the dreadfulness of lying like fibs, like I told a whopper, even the word fabrication or exaggeration, I just exaggerated. We don't lie, we misspeak. We don't lie, we fudge the truth. We don't lie, we're just spinning the truth. And when we're caught in a lie, we use all kinds of guilt avoidance mechanisms to protect ourselves. We use, instead of saying, well, I lied, we say, you know what, I'm sorry, I used poor judgment. Or I didn't lie, I just, I'll just admit some mistakes were made. This is so very common today. As a matter of fact, the author Ralph Keyes in his book, The Post-Truth Era, quotes Philip Hodson, psychologist, it's now as acceptable to lie as it is to exceed the speed limit when driving. Nobody thinks twice about it. And he quotes Jeremy Campbell, the author. It is a creeping assumption in this era that there are things more important than truth. And the author Ralph Keyes himself says, lying has become essentially a no-fault transgression. There's a widespread acceptance of the fact that lies can be told with impunity. We can get away with it because everybody's doing it. The fibbing, the fabrications, the whoppers, the exaggerations. We know it's not true that lies can be told with impunity. Lies can be catastrophic. Lies are the death of relationships. Lies are the death of community. And lies are the death of self-worth. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. In short, lies speak 
death. Now, during this past month at Grace, we have focused our attention on the importance of life-giving conversations. And we've examined how we can better speak life to one another. So here's a quick recap. On week one, Amy Christie suggested that what you communicate and how you communicate is crucial to the way people around you view Jesus. Your words and how you use them are a window to your heart. Marin, I like this quote Marin used in the second week from Harvard professor Dwight Bollinger. Language, he said, is like a loaded gun. <clears throat> it can be fired intentionally, but it can wound or kill just as surely when fired accidentally. And then last week, Tim Ayers suggested it's far better to be silent than it is to speak quickly and have to live with the consequences. We must be careful to say all things in ways that don't condescend, ridicule, shame, or inflame. <clears throat> These have been heavy messages with profound consequences to our hearts, which I'll talk about in a while. This week, though, what I want to do is wrap up this series by looking uncomfortably at the conversation cancer, which is lying. Now, the writer of Proverbs 12, 22 minced no words when they wrote this. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Now, it's a pretty intense word, detests, in and of itself, but it also could be translated as disgust. The Lord, God, is disgusted with lying. Another way to translate it is that word disgust or detest could mean an abomination. So to God, lies are a flat-out abomination. That's strong. That's strong words. And it's hard for us to hear, hear how much, how disgusted God is when lying is so prevalent. And it's so commonplace for mostly all of us in one way, shape, or form. So why is it that God is disgusted with our lying? I'm going to give you three reasons from Scripture. Well, first of all, lying doesn't just destroy conversations. Of course it destroys conversations. But it annihilates relationships. Lies blow up community. Which is why I think Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. And here's his caveat, the reason. For we are all parts of the same body. There's something about truth-telling and the body. Truth-telling holds bodies, communities, relationships together. Every human community, I don't care whether it's your marriage, your family, your church, your team, your group, or your nation, all of these communities are held together by trust and honesty. On the other hand, lies breed distrust. Lies breed disloyalty. And then the eventual disillusion of a community. Lies blow up communities. That's why lies are an abomination. But the second reason why I think God is so disgusted with our lies <clears throat> is that lies destroy reputations. Because when you are found out, when, you are, when it's revealed that you've been lying, when it's clear that you have fabricated something, you then, I mean, this makes sense, right? You, you become less believable, right? You, you lie, somebody discover, discovers you lie, well, now 
Who can trust you? Who can trust what you say? Lies kill reputations. I think this is what Jesus was uh, referencing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 30. He's in the, during the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> he says to the crowd, he said, he said now look, I know that you, this is my paraphrase, I know that you've heard, we all know that our ancestors have told us we, we need to we never break a vow. Carry out your vows that you make to the Lord. But then Jesus said, but I'm going to tell you something a little bit different. Don't make any vows. Matter of fact, don't do, especially don't make the, I swear by heaven I will do this and that. Or I swear, swear by the earth I will do this and that. Or I swear by Jerusalem. Or, don't even say I swear by my own head, which I don't really understand how to swear by your own head. But at any rate, he said, don't do that. Don't make these boastful exaggerations promising to do something. Instead, he says, keep it simple. Yes, I will, or no, I won't. And then he adds this zinger, anything beyond this is from the evil one. Man, if you're going to exaggerate and lie about the future, that disgusts God. Boastful, lying exaggerations come back to bite us when we can't fulfill them or have no intentions to fulfill them. I'm going to give you an example, a simple example, <clears throat> and maybe I'm overpressing the point, but how about when you run into somebody you haven't seen in a long time and you say something like, oh, hi, you, because you don't remember their name. Oh, hi, I've missed you. Why, number one, Oh, you know what? Let's get coffee. Lie number two. You have no intentions of doing that. And yet it's so commonplace. It's like a, it's like a conversation filler. Now what happens when that person anticipates, so glad to see you, and then looks forward to the opportunity of having coffee when you have no intentions of meeting them, and then your credibility is shot. Lies destroy communities. Lies destroy reputations. <clears throat> lies also destroy self-worth. Try Proverbs 10.9, the writer suggests that people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be this is a hard word to expose. I mean, even feel saying that you, when you lie, when you are exposed, <clears throat> you are no longer safe. It crushes you. You see, when we lie, we walk on the razor's edge because we know, can we be honest, that lies work? They work. Lies are very, very effective. They, they get us where we want... They get us where we want to go. I'll talk about this more in a minute. But when we're exposed, when our lives exposed, the whole of who we are can be crushed, leaving us with a very pitiful self-image. So as dangerous and disgusting as lying can be, why do we do it? Well, like I said, they're powerful and effective. You want to win a conversation? Lie. You want to win a contract with an organization? Lie. You want to win a job, an award, good grades, a diploma? You want to win influence? You want to win an election? 
lie. Because lies work. And lies work when you want to build yourself up. Side note, I've worked with people very pro-human. I love working with people even now in my life with Destiny Works, the organization I launched. I'm just working, I'm face-to-face with people all the time. And I'm going to tell you, we're all aware of the epidemic of anxiety and depression that we're all going through, right? I mean, it is a thing. But buried below that, what I don't think that anyone is acknowledging as much as we should is that the core of our discontent is a crushed level of self-worth. We don't like, we don't like ourselves. Our self-esteem has been crushed. And this is one of the reasons why we lie, because I've got to find a way to build myself up, at least in your eyesight or in your impression of me, so that I can put off my pain, my emptiness, and my shame. I don't like myself, so I'm going I'm to make myself into who I want to be. And that's fine, fine, till it, you fall off the razor's edge and you're exposed for who you really are. Lying is an act of desperation. And when we're exposed the whole house of cards comes down. So, you know all this. None of this is controversial. None of this is not known by... We all know, first of all, how prevalent lies are. We also know how dangerous lies are. By the way, some of you have been carrying a lie for a long time. I don't know how you've done it this long, but you've carried a pretty significant lie for a long time, and it's eating you up, right? Feels like a huge weight. We'll come back to that in a minute. Are there solutions, though? How does a person start to, watch this, walk the path of integrity? Now, here's my impression of all four weeks of this series. This series has been gripping. Man, I listen to Amy and Marin and Tim... And they're exposing some of the things that's going, that, are, that are going on inside of me. And I, I felt a deep level of remorse. Did you, did you feel some remorse with some over the last three weeks or some frustration that maybe you're, some of the conversations you're having or relationships are struggling? I mean, so it's, and, and I saw myself and I heard my life in, in every message. And I want to change. And I know you do too. I want to live with integrity. I'm, and I'm just going to go right out there and assume you do too to be able to speak life. So what do we do at a moment like this when we want to change the way we relate and the way we converse with people? Well, one of the things we tend to do, and I think it's a good thing, is we find somebody we trust and we confess to them. I've heard conversations people have had about this series, and there's a level of confession going on. Oh, my word, that's me. I mean, shoot, Tim was standing up here last week and confessed to the entire congregation when he said, there's some things I've held on to in my past, and, 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 and he said, my tendency is to, is to hang on to that bitterness a long time. Kudos to Tim for being honest, and let's all say, yep, me too. So remorse, confession, sometimes it's important to seek accountability. Yes, it's important or to study up or read on this, get, get into a conversation with Amy and her, the book study on crucial conversations, set some goals. Those are all good. But I want to suggest to you something deeper 
and more permanently life-transforming. Let me start with a story. It was about a week ago, my wife and I, Penny and I, were standing in the kitchen. And I looked at her, and I said this. So, that's it. I said, so. And she turned to me and she said, we're trying to decide, you're try- you want to know which one of the grandson's games should- we should go to because so- they're at the same time. Because Jude's game, uh, baseball game, and Henry's soccer game at the same time. And I was like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> now keep in mind, what did I say to her? So. Now, there's, there is actually a psychological reason why this happens. When you have been attached to a person for as long as my wife and I have been attached, 44 years this year, we've been married. And so we've been attached to each other a long time. That's a lot of FaceTime with a person. That's a lot of attachment. And psychologically, what happens is our right brains, her right brain and my right right brain, because the right brain is where attachments are made, our right brains start to connect with each other, and psychologists call what happens to you after all those years is mutual mind. So we start to have a mutual mind so that the only thing she needs is so, and she knows what I'm thinking. And we've realized over the last two or three years how often this happens to us. Happens to us. It's kind of creepy <laughs> and kind of wonderful at the same time, right? But that's what happens when we're attached. Here's my question. What would it be like if we attached to Jesus in the same way? Because what's happened to my wife and I is not just that we're thinking the same thoughts. I think our characters have started to become similar to one another. That's another thing that happens with mutual mind. What if we could connect with Jesus in the same way so that now I have his thoughts and the integrity that we know Jesus walks with becomes the integrity I walk with. This is entirely possible. You see, with our left brains, we make decisions, goals, we set goals, we, we determine what we're going to do, we, we confess to people, we seek accountability, we read books, we do all the left brain things to change our character, and it works to a certain extent. But if you want character that is deep and long-lasting, you attach to Jesus. My belief is that As Christians in this country, in this world, our knowledge of Jesus far surpasses our experience of Jesus. And we need to experience him. For when we experience him, the way a a, a newborn child in their first two or three years becomes attached to their mother, this is why a child thinks like the mother, acts like the mother, and eventually talks like the mother is because they're so attached face to face. What if that happened to us in Jesus? What if we experienced him? Here's what I'm going to do. Let's practice this for a few minutes. I'm going to walk you through a little exercise where hopefully you'll get to experience Jesus and actually, in your imagination, look him in the face. And I will show you something that you could do regularly that will cause you to be more attached to him, and the more attached you are, the more you experience Jesus, the more your character will change. 
The best way to experience this is with your eyes closed, although you don't have to. So I'm going to walk you through this. Would you close your eyes? So you are walking through some woods, a forest, on a path. And it's a beautiful late summer day. You could sense falls around the corner. The temperature is just right. You can see the sun coming through the leaves and hear birds. And it's a pleasant walk except for one thing. You're wearing a backpack that is so heavy it hurts. What's in that backpack? Is it a broken relationship that you haven't been able to heal? Is that backpack so heavy because it has lies in it that you have not been exposed, you have not been honest about? Is that backpack so heavy and weighing you down because you've had these horrible conversations of late and you just don't know how to rectify the situation? What is weighing you down with that backpack? As you walk through the woods, you sense that you're coming to a clearing. And the closer you get to the clearing, the more you can see that in the middle of the field, there's a small house, a really cute house, a nice house. And the closer you get, you realize it has a wraparound porch. And there are chairs on the porch, maybe even rocking chairs. And as you emerge into the clearing from the path, you see the door of the house, this little house, open. And out steps Jesus onto the porch. And you have this mixture of great desire, but also guilt for what you're carrying. You try to pick up your pace, reticent, yes, anxious at the same time. And you look up, and he's got that arms, kind of hands to open like, man, come on in. I'm so glad to see you. And you step up the three steps onto the porch. And he approaches you and he puts his arms around you. He says, I'm glad you've come. And then he carefully grabs your backpack and slips it off your shoulders, puts it on the deck of the porch and says, come on in. He leads you into the little living room of this house and says, let's sit over here on the couch. Sit down, half-facing each other. There's an awkward moment as you realize it's been a while since you've been this close to him. And you look up, and his eyes are glued on you. 
And he says, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And then he says, tell me, what's happening? What's going on with you? And it comes slowly, but it starts picking up as the words tumble out of your mouth and you rehearse with him the struggles you've been having, the self-worth issues, the relational issues, they just pour out. And you look up after talking for so long and he's still glued on you and he's still interested in every word. And then you realize how much better you feel just saying this stuff out loud. And he looks at you and he says, thank you. Thank you for being honest with me. You shrug your shoulders, half smile. You don't know whether you want to run or hug him or cry. And then he says to you, can I tell you something? And he says, I love you. And I more than love you, I like you. I like who you've become. I know it's been a hard life, but I've been with you the whole time, and I, I know you've struggled at times, but I like how you've navigated this. I like the skill set you've developed, your personality, and I'm proud of you. I am so proud of you. And then he says, would you like to meet with me more often like this? Would that be good for you? And you shake your head, you nod and you say, yeah, it would be. And he said, will you come back anytime? And I'll tell you again and again how proud I am of you and how much I love you. And you get up, you realize it's time to go. He walks to the front door, out onto the porch. You turn to him. Opens his, he opens his arms to you and you fall into his arms and he hugs you, a very strong hug. Then he pushes you away and holds your shoulders. And he said, remember, you come back anytime. You walk down the steps out across the field and just when you're about to get back onto the path you realize you forgot your backpack and you turn around as if to go back and he holds his hand up and he yells no I've got this you wave and say thank you turn walk down the path feeling lighter than you have felt in a very long time. If you can come back for a second. What I want you to know is that experience 
is something that you can experience on a more regular basis. Now, it's not going to instantly change you, but in time, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you will become more like him. Encounter Jesus. Share his mind. Grow in integrity. And you will speak life. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.